verse 7. But all things that were gained to me, these things I have counted as loss for Christ. Christ didn't take them away from him. He counted them as loss. And that word in Greek is an accounting term. We just finished closing the books out on the church in Jan in actually the beginning of February, and we get a financial statement. And what it is is, the, is you, when you do accounting, put an expenditure or some income into some category on your chart of accounts. So you choose what to account that as. Is it a, is it a, is it a business expense? We're going to do some, uh, some major improvements to the staging up here in the front of the church. And so I sat down with the staff and I said, when we spend that money, that's not an expense, it's a capital improvement. So it doesn't go as an expense, it goes on the asset side of the building. And so they have to know that when those checks are cut, it gets accounted as something. And that's what this word means. I chose to put it in. I chose to take all the things that accomplished, my education, all that I ever saw myself as, and I've chosen to take it and over and put it as a loss in the loss column. To take it from my asset side and put it over as a liability, as a, in the loss side. I chose to do that. So now I don't look at myself in terms of all that I've accomplished. My image of myself is no longer, I was an apostle, I was a prophet, or I was this. I would, my image of myself is not that I was a Pharisee, that I was of great zeal, that I was a leader and highly educated. That's not how I see myself anymore. I count all of that self as a loss. Why? Why? For the, it says actually in the Greek, for the surpassing value. I've counted, verse 8, I need I count all things as loss, for the excellence of the knowledge, some translations say the surpassing value of the knowledge, and that word knowledge is, is the word epinosis, not gnosis. It means a higher knowledge. It means a personal experience. It means knowing intimately. So Paul says, I've made a trade here. I've made a trade in my thinking that my image of who I am is no longer based on my accomplishments or my failures. My image of who I am is now based on knowing Jesus. And knowing Him intimately. See, all those things from our past, the good, the bad, and the ugly, all those things can interfere with us knowing Him. Why? Because we bring those things into the relationship and say, well, this is who I bring to this. I bring to you my skills. I bring to you my education, God. I bring these things to you so that you can use these things. It's amazing. Because God often takes people that have none of those things and puts them in an exalted position in the church. And he takes people that have great background and experience, education, and often puts them in a place where they don't get to use that. Why? So that they learn to trust in him and not their education. I started in ministry working in a toddler's room. The process that God took me through to do this in me, and it's not fully done, took over 10 years in order for Him to trust me to put me in this position so that I wouldn't rely on the things that I had relied on my whole life before. And I would learn to rely on Him and not on my education and not on my training and not on all the other things that I had put such confidence in. It's learning to trust Him. So this is what Paul's talking about. I count all things 
as loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ, and be found in Him, and this is what he's talking about, not having my own righteousness which comes from the law, my own righteousness which comes from what I bring into this relationship. When Anita and I were married almost 48 years ago, we brought things into this relationship. She brought her sweetness and gentleness. I brought a bunch of junk from my past. <laughs> Don't look at me like that. So did some of you. I had problems I didn't know I had that didn't show up until I was married to somebody and had to relate to them and couldn't do just what I wanted to do the way I wanted to do it. And so we bring into a relationship all this stuff from our past. And, 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 and it takes sometimes years to deal with some of that stuff so that we can actually come together in a marriage. I mean, I talk to people or hear stories of people, even in this church, and I'm not thinking of anybody, so don't you know, hang your head or, or think I'm thinking of you or picked you out, where men you know, will say, well, you know, the wife comes and says, well, my husband's never home. Why? He's always out playing pool with the guys. And I'm thinking, the problem is he doesn't know he's married. He doesn't understand what marriage is. You shall leave your father and mother and friends and all the things you used to do because you were single and cleave, be joined to your wife. You've entered into a relationship that requires you to forget those things that lie behind. That requires you to let go of, some, let go of those things and be joined to another because you can't be both. You can't be both single and married. That's not that heavy a revelation. But it is for some. Well, the same thing applies in our relationship with Christ. Before you came to Christ spiritually, you were single. You were out there on your own. Paul says, I betrothed you to Christ. I, I fear that you're chasing after another, which is the world. The Bible says you can't love God and the world, the things of this world. You can enjoy them in heaven, but you can't love them. You have to choose. And Paul says, I, had to, I looked at all these things that I had put my confidence in and trust in, all these things that were so valuable to me. And then I looked at Christ. And I counted all this as rubbish. And that's not actually what that word means. It's worse than that. For the surpassing value, I made a decision in my mind that He was worth so much more to me. That relationship was so much more to me than this stuff I had invested my life in that I counted it as loss so that I may know Him and be found in Him having a righteousness which is not of my own. That's what He let go of. All the things we have confidence in, the things we've done. Well, I've done all... I mean, the way to find out is you stood before God today and He asked you, why should I enter you into heaven? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Well, I was a pastor. I was a teacher. I did this in church. I, you know, I paid my, gave my tithe faithfully. I did this, I did this. Then that's what your trust is in, in your relationship. And Paul said, I came to the place where I, my confidence was not in any righteousness of my own. And he had some righteousness, but his confidence wasn't in it. Because the only right answer is because I put my trust in Christ. Because I put my trust in Christ. 
I remember years ago when we first got saved, we were sharing our faith and not necessarily the best way we could have shared it. We just kind of jumped all over some of our relatives with it. And I remember telling them, yeah, well, the gospel basically says, you know, that you don't get into heaven because you've been good. You get into heaven because you put your faith in Christ. And they said, you mean you can live your whole life as a rank sinner and at the very end give your life to Christ and you'll get into heaven? I said, that's exactly what the Bible says. That can't be right. The proof is there was the thief on the cross who acknowledged Christ, one of them, and Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. They couldn't understand it because they've been raised in a religion like many of you have that was based on doing this and doing that and doing this and doing that and they invested their life in doing all the right things and to be found out, oh my goodness, that's not what's going to get me into heaven. But it isn't. They were Confidence was in their own righteousness. And that's why it's pride that keeps people out of heaven. But, 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 I've, but I've got to contribute something to it. You can't contribute anything to it. And what Paul's saying here is, I can't know him to the extent that I'm putting any confidence in anything I do for my standing before him. To that extent, I can't know him. It's in my way. It's in my way. All right. We're just setting the, the, the stage here for where we're going. Be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, which is from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, a righteousness which comes from God by faith. And this was Paul's determined purpose. That I might know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death. The death that he's talking about here is death to himself. Death to the pride of the life that he built of himself. Now, in Paul's case, it did require death. Remember Jesus said, if you're going to be a disciple of mine, what you've got to do? You've got to take up your cross and follow me. Cross was a place of death. It may be physical death, but the more painful death is death to my ego, death to myself, death to my rights, death to all the things that Jesus emptied himself that we saw in chapter 2. He emptied himself of those things. And he said, if you want to be like me, you've got to empty yourself of you. Of your rights and who you are. And what you're going to accomplish and what credit you should get. That I may know him. And the power of his resurrection. You know, we want the power, but the resurrection only comes if there's been a death. People that are alive don't need to be resurrected, although most of us do. But I mean, if you're alive, you don't need to be resurrected because you're already, resur- already erected. <laughs> you need to be resurrected if you've died. The power of the resurrection, the fellowship of His suffering. Suffering for what? It's not sickness and disease. The suffering He's talking about is the persecution that Christ went through. And if we belong to him, in fact, in the early, early church, they rejoiced when they were persecuted. Why? Because it was proof to them that they were being identified with Christ. It was a badge of honor to them that we've been counted worthy to suffer for him. That's a concept that we've lost touch with. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, that I may be conformed to his death. All right, we're going to put you back together in a few minutes. Verse 11. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. 
Now, here's what we're going to talk about today. Not that I've already attained it. So with all Paul had gone through, all that he'd grown through, he still isn't there yet. I don't know about you, but that gives me hope. He's still not there yet. Or I'm already perfected, that means completed. But here's what I do. I press on. I press on. I press on. That I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. Do you understand that you're not here today? You're not in Christ today. I'm not here today. I'm not in Christ today because I was so smart and so spiritual that I figured out I needed Him and I talked Him into accepting me. If you did, then we got to go back a few verses and go over them again. No one comes to Christ unless He calls them. Say, you know, I found Christ. No, you didn't. He found you. He's never been lost. You and I were the ones that were lost. Filled with pride, I'm making my own way. I got my plans, boy. I go, just get out of my way. I got my life figured out, or I may not have my life figured out, but I want to do what I want to do. I've got, I want to be, you know, this stage. I've got dreams I want to see in my life and my family. All these things I want to have happen. God looked down through our mess and says, no, I got something else I want for you. He laid hold of you. He laid hold of you. He laid hold of this church almost 36 years ago. Not the building, a man and a woman, Sam Smith and Donna Smith, and called them to move from Texas up here because God had a purpose for establishing this church. Paul said that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. He laid hold of you. He laid hold of me. But he didn't just do it to lay hold of it. It's because he has a purpose for your life. This is what's missing in so many Christians' lives. That's why they're not satisfied. That's why they're frustrated. That's why they're oftentimes depressed. I know there can be other reasons. And go through the, the mully grubs and all that stuff because they don't have a purpose or they've lost sight of it. Purpose gives meaning to your life. Purpose gives meaning. It also brings discipline to your life. We're going to see that in a few minutes. We may not quite get there today. Because, because it makes you just make choices. You know what to make choices. You know, you just get up in the day and just have to make choices. Well, how do I choose between this and that? Well, some things obviously are wrong and some things obviously are right. But a lot of those choices, you know, about, you know, what kinds of things to eat. You know, people struggle so much, especially this time of year, I guess, with eating, overeating. The reason is because they're not a purpose for their life that determines what I should eat and what I shouldn't eat. But athletes training, athletes training for an Olympic medal or for something like that, they govern their whole life around what's going to help them get to that goal and what's going to hinder them getting to that goal. And anything that, that would hinder them from reaching that goal, they take out of their life. Things that everybody else around them is enjoying, that there's not necessarily particularly wrong with it, but it interferes with their top performance. So purpose and meaning change your life. The Old Testament says, without a vision, the people perish. That's the King James Version. 
But literally what it says is without a vision, without a purpose, the people are unrestrained. They just wander all over the place because they don't have a focus for their life. They don't have a purpose for their life. And we're laying a foundation here because what we're going to begin to look at is what the purpose for Faith Christian Center is. God's adjusting that purpose, calling us back to that purpose of why this church is here. And as we begin to see that and begin to all focus together on that, it will not only change your, this church, but it will change your life because it is God's vision. Now, we've got to start by looking at our own lives. So you're here today. You're in Christ today because He looked down through the eons of ages and chose you for a purpose, each one of you. You may be sitting there this morning saying, well, who, who am I that I could do? That's exactly what we just talked about, laying that stuff aside. Laying aside why you think you're not qualified. Guess what? You're not. If you think you are, you're not. If you don't think you are, you're not. None of us are qualified. Not for what He's called us to do. So we've got to lay all that aside so that we can pick up what He's given us to do. Now, God will use your talents. And He'll use your training. He uses mine all the time. But I had to let it go. I had to let it go. I had to let go my self-image based on that so that God could begin to use what it was in my life. I've seen people that were saved out of the world, out of, out of uh, well-known uh, artists, musicians, uh, singers, even actors that were saved and they were thrown right into ministry. And they don't make it. Why? Because they never had a chance to grow as a Christian. And so they're, 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 they're a Christian star because so-and-so, you know, so got saved. I've seen it put on the stage and start singing just weeks after they got saved. And they weren't equipped inside as a Christian yet. They were still babies. And what they were relying on, people were relying on, is their, their stardom, their past record, their, their, their name, and their talent. But they never developed, they were still trusting in all of that. And Paul went through the process of laying all aside. And he still hadn't gotten there yet. Laying that all aside. So he says, I did this. I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. So on God's side, he's laid hold of you. That's, you're the proof of that is you're here, you're in Christ. But now we need to change the focus of our life so that we lay hold of why He laid hold of us. That we lay hold of His purpose. Say, I thought God saved me because He loved me. Yes, He did. But if He just saved you because He loved you, you wouldn't be here. We'd all be in heaven. Because there's no temptations in heaven. Nobody's going to overeat in heaven. Nobody's going to backslide in heaven. Nobody's going to sin and commit adultery in heaven. Nobody's going to, you know, nobody gonna, because in heaven. But God's left us here exposed to those possibilities. Why? Because there's a purpose for us being here. There's a purpose for us being. There's a purpose for your life. Planned, the Bible says, before the foundation of the world. Psalm 139. You ought to read that regularly. God watched you formed in your mother's womb. Watched your cells come together, waiting for the moment of that birth. Bruce and Kim just had their daughter born this week. 
They were looking forward to her for at least nine months. God was looking forward to that child before the world was found. And only God knows what he intends for that child's life right now. Only God knows. And it's when we find that purpose and we begin to commit to do that purpose that our lives change and we have meaning to our lives. Not a meaning that we create on our own, but a meaning that God gave us. The confidence that the prophets had to stand against impossible odds. The confidence that Paul had to stand against all that came against him was because he knew he was fulfilling God's purpose. And there's a peace that comes with that. All kinds of hell may break loose around you, but there's a peace that comes to knowing you're right up behind him on your way. I was mentioning some of this to Anita yesterday, and I remembered back to when we were dating, and as some of I have shared with you before, we had what I call the long-distance romance. She was in school, nursing school in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I was in college in upstate New York. And, and I would commute down there. I would drive down there. I'd leave on Friday morning. I scheduled no classes on Friday. I would drive all day Friday to get there at 3 o'clock when she got a class, pick her up, and we'd drive up to her parents' house. And then she had to be back by 12 o'clock midnight. I got her back at 12 o'clock midnight, no earlier and no later. And then I would get on the road and drive all night to my 8 o'clock philosophy class. And I, I didn't get much out of it. <laughs> but I did that one winter virtually every other weekend. That's what, see, that's what love does. Love has a desire. I don't care. My, my family thought I was crazy. I was crazy in love. But see, when you're in love, you don't see the obstacles. When you're in love, you don't see the problem. And that's why Jesus calls us to love him that way. But I'm sharing that with you because to do that, I had to drive through Columbus, Cleveland, Erie, Buffalo, Rochester, five major snow belts starting at midnight don't try this at home folks <laughs> she was worth it but there were times I remember so vividly where it was snowing so hard I'm already out on the road I can't get off because I don't even know where I am I'd find a semi and I'd get up behind him as close as I could see, so I could see his lights. And I was just praying he was going where I was going. <laughs> and I would follow him for two reasons. He could see something I couldn't see. And he was big enough to move the snow out of my way. And so I, but listen to me, to do that safely, I had to go where he was going. And there was one time I just got off the road and he pulled into a motel, so I did too. But you know what we do with our lives? We get out on that highway and we've decided, look, I'm going to get back to school by such and such a time tomorrow, so I'm just going to drive no matter what comes. And it starts snowing and it gets icy and we don't care. The semis pull in front of us and we say, yeah, but I'm going to find my own way. And we slide off the road or we get in a wreck or we get in a ditch 
See, if we get behind God's purpose for your life, get right up behind it, it doesn't matter whether it snows or rains, it does, because that God's purpose will move the obstacles out of the way. He may not get you to the destination you want, but it'll get you to the destination He has for you. Now, to do that, we have to do certain things. So it starts by choosing, I'm going to follow, I want to lay hold of. The purpose for my life is to lay hold of that for which He laid hold of me. His determined purpose. Verse 13, Brethren, I don't count myself as yet apprehending it, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Forgetting those things which are behind. Forgetting your accomplishments, your pedigree. Now, I'm, I mean, obviously you don't throw your diplomas out the window. It's forgetting that that's who you are. Because whatever profession you're in, whatever your livelihood is, that's not who you are. That may be your place of assignment. That may be the place where God uses to provide your, provide your living, but they're not your source of living. I somehow got that set early on in my life as a Christian. I don't know what did it, but somehow early on it got ingrained in me that God was my source, not that law firm. Now, that's easy to say when you're making more than you can spend. But then one day God called us to leave that and to move to Oklahoma. I didn't even know where it was. Because I'm, I'm a New Englander, to leave the ocean and to move out there. And I got out there. I didn't, I didn't have a job. I didn't know what we were going to do. I was just out there on blind faith. And God provided everything that we needed. But see, He called us to go. Now, if I did that on my own, then i got to provide for myself. But see, he told us to move out there. And so I got behind that semi. And we followed him out there. And God provided. I remember the senior part partner I worked under sitting down with me several times. He said, I can't sleep. I said, why? He says, I'm afraid for you. I said, why? I don't understand this. He said, you're just leaving all this. He said, you know, if you stay here, do you know what's going to happen in the next few years, what you're going to get out of this? I said, it's irrelevant because this isn't my purpose. My purpose is to do what God's laid hold of me. If it's in this law firm, wonderful. But if it's somewhere else, that's fine. And the Lord, I went to the Lord about it. I said, why? I cared about him. Why is he so anxious? He says, because I didn't speak to him. I spoke to you. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, and because you heard me speak to you, you have the faith to do that. He's looking at the risks without having heard from me. This is the key to purpose. I knew it was God's purpose for us. Therefore, I knew God would take care of it somehow. He didn't know that. He wasn't even a believer. He didn't know that, so it was scary to him because he was basing what's secure and safe on the world's system. Eventually, he got kicked out and the firm fell apart. 100-year-old firm fell apart. Isn't there today. There's no record. I mean, it's, it's not just not there today anymore. But we're here. 
God's still providing for us. But that's because we hooked ourselves to what Christ Jesus laid hold of us for. So the first thing is forgetting what lies behind. The successes, but also the failures. The failures can hang on to us sometimes much more, they're more difficult sometimes to let go of than the successes. The failures. Failed marriage. Failed relationships. Failed in school. Failed at this. I failed in business. I'm not talking about I did. But I'm saying that can be thoughts that we've had. I failed God. I failed my wife. I failed my husband. I failed my kids. Failures. Look what Paul says. Forgetting. And Paul had some things to forget. Because he said, in zeal, persecuting the church. Paul, when he was saved, was on his way to Damascus with letters of authorization from the Sanhedrin to arrest the Christians, destroy the church, and bring them back to be, to be executed for blasphemy. But there were others he'd already done that to. He may have had dreams at night about seeing Stephen stoned. Because when Stephen was being stoned, Paul, who was then Saul, was holding the coats, guarding the things of the men that stoned him, assisting them. He was an accomplice in Stephen's execution. The cries, although Stephen didn't cry, he just looked up at heaven and smiled. That made him even madder. Seeing that families arrested and brought in and now realizing they were his brothers and sisters. Paul had memories that he would have to deal with. Forgetting the things which lie behind. And that's something you have to choose to do. <laughs> There's a popular children's song out there. I know it because my granddaughter likes it called Let It Go. <laughs> Let it go. That's a word from God. Let it go. Let it go. Let your failures go. You can't do anything about them. And God's merciful. Let your successes go. They can't do you any good today. Learn to live today. Now, it's nothing wrong with planning, but don't trust in your planning. James says at the end, don't you realize that today is just a hand's breath? Follow the will of God for your life. Forgetting what lies behind. And then look what you do in place. But if you just sit around forgetting what lies behind you won't forget. And reaching forward to those things which are ahead. God has things ahead for you. He has things ahead for this church. Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans that I have for you. God says, I know them. I know the plans that I have for you. For good and not for evil and for an expected or confident end. God has plans for you. That's why He laid hold of you. 
And the question is, are we willing to let go of our plans and commit to follow his plans, his purposes, his will? I press on. I press. That requires effort. That requires determination. Verse 14. I press towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God that's in Christ Jesus. I press towards the goal. So Paul had a goal. Paul had a goal in mind in everything he did. This goal, was this purpose in mind was to reach that goal. They'll teach you in track. I ran track when I was in high school. And my role on the team was to make sure nobody else came last. <laughs> and I was good at that. I could not run for my life. But we had to take some sport. And it was non-contact. So I, I, I went. It was cross-country. So I ran and it's like, oh. <laughs> I couldn't get across the field, not across the country. <laughs> I was not in good shape at that age. And... Um, uh, but I remember learning some principles that the coach would teach. And he said, especially in the shorter races, he says, you've got to keep your eye on that. You've got to fix your eyes on a target down there and keep your eyes on that. And he would tell us stories about people that were just ready. They were ahead, but when they turned to look at their competition, when you look this way, you lose just a little bit of your stride and you get distracted. Distraction is one of Satan's number one devices to get you looking. There's a wonderful story at the end of the Gospel of John where Jesus has come to restore Peter who's denied him three times. And he says to Peter, we talked about this a few weeks ago, do you still love me more than these? And Peter says, no, I, you know, I, I'm fond of you more than these. And then after that, Peter says to them, he starts walking down the, down the road, beach, excuse me, and Peter's walking with him and John's following behind them. Jesus explains to Peter how he's going to die. When you're an old man, you're basically going to be crucified. And Peter hears that, and then he turns over his shoulder and says, well, what about him? And Jesus says, what if it's to you if he stays alive until I come back? Now, that's not what obviously happened, and that's not what Jesus meant. Basically, saying, it's none of your business what I'm doing with him. You keep your eyes on what I've told you is your purpose. They had different purposes, different ends. So forgetting what lies behind, behind. It's an old example, but it's, it works here very well. When they designed your car, you have in front of you basically two pieces of glass. There's your windshield, which is a big piece of glass like this. Then up here somewhere is a rear view mirror, which is also a piece of glass. I guess it still is. Do you notice that the rear view mirror is smaller than the windshield. That's because you're supposed to spend much more time looking through the windshield going forward than in the rearview mirror seeing what passed you. It's fine to be aware of the rearview mirror of who's behind you so that if you have to stop suddenly, you know who's there. But you can't keep your focus on that or you'll have an accident. And the same is true with your walk with Him. It's okay to be aware of it to be aware of where you came from. Sometimes we need to remember where we came from, but not hold on to it. It's not who you are today. 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 And it will keep you from laying hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of you. 
pressing on. I press. That requires effort. That requires determination. Notice he doesn't say God will press you on. There's a part God has to play and there's a part we have to play. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God that's in Christ Jesus. So Paul had a goal in mind and that goal was a prize that he was going to attain in Christ. And here's great words of encouragement. Notice Paul saying here, I didn't attain it yet. I'm not there yet. I'm still in progress. I've shared this example with you before, but it's so good. It's really helped me. It was one I heard from another minister at a minister's conference. Have you ever seen, and nowadays it's the younger generation may, may not have, ever seen a piece of movie film? I mean, we still have upstairs in our attic somewhere, you know, eight millimeter films from, of our first son, two hours of them going like this in the crib, you know, <laughs> smiling. It's just, oh, it's what parents do with the first child. And it's like, <laughs> he's here and I love him, but boy, you know, look at two hours of that is, you know. And then you find with the second child, eh, half an hour, 20 minutes. And then we get two together, nothing. <laughs> Still pictures here and there. So we have those movie film, and what you see if you look at a piece of movie film, and you see this beautiful action on the screen, there's, the film doesn't have action on it, it's a series of pictures showing different movement. Each picture is a little different angle, a little different movement. And we look at an incident, we look at a day, and think whatever happened today, oh, my life has fallen apart. That's just one frame in a movie. Today is one frame in a movie, one step of a journey. That's all it is today. That today doesn't tell you the end. Isn't that good news? Today doesn't tell you the end. So you can forget the frames that went on. They're not going to show them again. And look forward to what lies ahead. So that means I can commit myself to preparing for what lies ahead. I can't do anything today about yesterday. All yesterday can do is hinder tomorrow. But I can use today to prepare for tomorrow. Press. Press. That means there's obstacles working against you. There are distractions that come against you. There are things that are designed to tire you out and wear you out. Paul said there's been sent against me a, a messenger of Satan, not sickness and disease, a messenger of Satan sent to buffet me, to push back at me. Every time I step out to do something for God, there's something pushing back. Every city I go to, there are people there trying to kill me, to destroy me. They're trying to stop what I'm called to do. But I press. I press. I don't go by how I feel. I press. I've already decided today that I'm going to press tomorrow. I've already decided today that I'm going to press the day after. It doesn't matter what comes up. See, the, 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 if you read Revelation, it's simple. To he who overcomes. That just means if you win, if you end up at the end, at the end of the race, you win. We won't have time today to look at it, but we're going to go over to 1 Corinthians 9 where he compares this prize to the Olympics. And he says, they all run to win a prize that only one can win. 
And in those days, it wasn't a gold medal. It was a laurel wreath, a wreath of laurel that had been woven together that they would place on their head, something that in a few weeks is going to dry up. And they did all that training, all that commitment, all that focus to win that little wreath that only one of them could win. But we're running in a race where we all can win. There's not just one winner where we all can win. But we've got to get to the end, not be distracted. We've got to press. To do that, we have to press. But you've got to know what you're pressing towards. You've got to know what your purpose is. You've got to know why you're here. And that's what we're going to begin to I'm going to answer that for you. Not today, but I'm going to tell you in the next couple of weeks why you're here. Say, so, well, you don't know me. Yes, but I know why you're here. I don't know your role in it, but I know why you're here. I know why we're here. Because the Bible tells us why we're here. It's not something I got, you know, in the middle of the night by some epiphany from God. I just read the Bible. It's amazing what you can discover when you just read the Bible. Okay. But I don't feel led, Pastor. Well, just read your Bible. It'll tell you what God's told you to do. I press towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God that's in Christ Jesus. Now, this is what's reassuring. Therefore, verse 15, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. So he's saying that maturing as a Christian means that you start living your life for His purposes, not your own. That's true in the natural life. The natural process of maturing of a child. Think about this. When a baby's born, or you've got a young child at home, their whole life, all their consciousness is around them, what they need. When their tummy hurts and it's empty, they cry. When their pants need to be changed, their diapers need to be changed, they cry. If they're left alone, nobody's paying attention to them, they figure out how to get your attention. It's all based around them. But they're a baby. That's normal for a baby. But the process of maturing is growing in your awareness. Some point that child becomes aware that they're not the only one in this family. That there's a mother and a father, hopefully, in the ideal situation. And that there are brothers and sisters, there's siblings. I asked Bruce how his daughter was adjusting to this new addition. He said, well, she's clinging to me. I said, it's good. See, this is why it's important. And, you know, I don't want to get off into that. But when we have other children, the older child has to adjust to the fact that they're not it anymore. I've got to share mom and dad. I've got to, I'm not the only one that this family revolves around anymore. And so that's part of maturing, is to realizing, wait a minute, I'm part of something that's bigger than me. And then you mature to the level we realize, wait a minute, not only do I get something by being part of this family, but I need to contribute. That's what chores are called. That's why chores are important. I need to contribute to the overall well-being of this household to prove that not only am I part of it, but I learn to give as well as receive from it. And then eventually I grow up and begin to discover what does our family do? What are the things we do as a family? Why are we here as a family? I remember when our younger boys were twins, were younger, and, and, and I would get down on the floor and wrestle with them because when our older son was here today, I wasn't, we weren't saved when he was this age. And I'd get down and play with him and God began to speak to me one day and he says, what are you doing? 
I said, so I'm wrestling with my sons. He said, you're enjoying it? I said, yeah. He says, what have you done? He says, you've come down to their level at what they can handle right now, and you're playing with them. He says, but the day will come when they'll come to you and ask you what do you want to do. And that happened a number of years ago. I remember it was on my birthday or something like that when my sons came to me, and I think Chris was part of that, and said, Dad, what would you like to do today? And that came back to me from years earlier. And God's plan for us, because he came to you as a child in God, as a, to be, and you're born again as a baby. He came to you, and he comes to you where you are. I need this. I need that, God. And he meets your needs. But then as you grow and mature, you begin to be aware, you know what? I'm part of something that's just not me. I need to belong to something. So we find a church, and we begin to realize, you know, this feels like home to me. I'm part of this. And now i got to begin to realize, well, wait a minute, I'm growing. I, I, I need to contribute something here. So they need this or they need that. Maybe I could help with that. I don't have a talent, but i got time. Maybe I can do this and begin to contribute and have a sense of belonging, being part of something. And then the next level of maturing is, wait a minute, why are we all here? Because God has an ultimate purpose for this church and for all of us. As many of you as mature have this same mindset. So part of being spiritually mature isn't the gifts of the Spirit. It isn't the miracles. It's the mature attitude that I belong to something that has a purpose. I belong to Him and He's laid hold of me, but I long belong to a church that God has given a purpose to and I have a part to play in that. That's the mature attitude, but the encouraging thing here is that He says, for as many as are mature... have this mind. But if anything, in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal it to you. Maybe he's doing it this morning. Nevertheless, to the degree that you have attained it, let us walk by the same rule and be of the same mind. To the degree that you've already attained this awareness, let us begin to walk in this. That I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. Forgetting what lies behind. The good and the bad. The successes and the failures. I press on. I press on. I press on. I press on. God has so richly blessed us here. He's blessed us in ways with a beautiful facility which we're going to improve. He's blessed us with a consistent history of God's faithfulness to us. And He's blessed this church with you. The gifts and the talents, just your being here. He's blessed this church. He's laid hold of this church. He's laid hold of your life and brought you here so that we may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of us. And so our response is to forget what lies behind. We can't live in the glory of what this church was before. We can't live in the struggles that this church may have gone through before. What we can live in is press on. Press on. Press on. Press on. Toward the upward call of God that's in Christ Jesus. Amen.